Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Podcast Daily. Happy Thursday from Bill Landis and myself, Austin Ward. The Buckeyes will be back on the practice field for number seven of spring camp. Pretty much the halfway point of those days that really carry significance for Buckeyes. Let's just rule it for the Buckeyes. Let's rule out the spring game where that's fun for everybody, really, except probably the coaching staff and the players (laughs) who are ready to wrap things up, maybe get out to High Street or whatever else they might want to do after those. 15 workouts are complete, uh, but the cornerbacks and safeties will be out there. And rather than just dig into another day of what should we ask that group, um, we've done several shows about the secondary bill that have gone for half an hour or so. Yeah. We probably don't have we probably don't have a lot. We have a lot more questions, but we don't have a lot more that we could probably add right now. No, no, I don't think so. Nor, nor do I think anyone wants to hear more discussion about like uh, what's up with Sonny Styles. So, yeah, let's uh, let's let's skip that for now. All right, instead, let's get back to the latest edition of the Stock Watch. And I've got a twist for you today, Bill. Mm-hmm. And that's, let's go through it, and you can't take any projected starters. Now, you could say, well, what if you cheat, and you think that somebody who's currently with the twos can be a starter? Maybe that would be okay. But no, nobody who has started a game at Ohio State. How about that? I like it. So are we, is this a... Is this like with an eye beyond 2023, or is this guys that we think could still help them in 2023? Either, however you want to invest in your stonks, that's up okay. To you. No one okay. can tell you how to spend your money. That's right. That's right. Uh, I wish they would because I might have more of it if they did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, that's good. That's a good idea. Um, hmm. Where? What position group do I want to start with? Oh, the offensive line. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh this will be this is a much more long-term play uh it is I, I do not anticipate this player really impacting the 2023 season um but i really like what i've seen out of luke montgomery in the time that we've been out there and as someone who was um a bit skeptical of the idea of him being a tackle long term um i am getting more and more comfortable with that idea kind of every time I see him out there. And maybe that's putting far too much um, stock into the, the little bit that we have seen, but it, it's mostly about like the, the, the pass rush drill that we got to watch, or at least that I watched during the, during the scrimmage last Saturday. Um, I just thought Luke looked really impressive, like held, held his own, had, had some really good reps, seemed to have some fairly, I don't want to say advanced like handwork, but, better handwork maybe than I, than I thought he would have at, at this point um, as a guy who I kind of considered like a little bit more of a, of a mauler. Um, but his hand fighting and pass protection situations looked pretty good. Can certainly get better, but look, but look good for where he's at in his career. He moves really well. Um, he's not like from a height standpoint, I don't know that you look at him and say like that guy's definitely a tackle, but he definitely has the length for it. So it's, it's, it's not all that dissimilar, I think from like Tegra Shabola, who maybe doesn't look, from pure height standpoint, like a tackle either, but but has sort of the footwork and, and the arm length to, to make up for that. Donovan Jackson, I think I'd put in, in the same category. So um, I don't know. They're going to give him the shot at tackle, right? And maybe two years from now, he's working more on the interior. But um, I think it makes sense to give him that look now because it does look comfortable for him. So it's not like, you know, he's not going to be in the mix for this year. And honestly, even projecting like true sophomore as a starter sometimes feels feels a little foolhardy, although Carson Hinsman, I suppose, is in that situation now. And, and maybe Luke can be um, next year at, at one of the positions up front. But 
Um, it's a little obvious, I guess, because he was the highest rated lineman in that class. He's a top 100 player, and some guys thought he was a, a five-star prospect during the course of his recruitment. But um, I like when that's the case, and then you see a guy like for the first time, and it's it's sort of backed up. So um, I am I am bullish on the prospects of young Luke. Are you going to crush Berm's hopes and dreams and say he can't ever play center now? You've seen enough. Don't move him <laughs> to center. No, no, uh, not at all. I I still find myself quite interested in that idea, but the i the, the fact that you could see him if you could see him playing at center, you can see him playing at tackle, then you can kind of see him playing anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that's only that's only to Ohio State's benefit, and and honestly to to Luke's benefit too. Um, long term, I think that versatility is is very important down the line when you're when you're looking at a professional career as well. So, uh, will not crush that dream just yet. Although, if Carson Hinsman is the guy who ends up being the center, then that job could be spoken for for a couple of years too. So, Luke might have to find right. another avenue. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I I felt throughout this guy's recruitment, I was like, what's the fuss about? <laughs> Why is Tennessee? throwing just gobs of money to get this wide receiver <laughs> to flip his commitment and leave Ohio state and leave Brian Hartland. I was like, Ohio state can go get whatever receiver they want. Like, why is there so much effort being expended on Carnell Tate? And ever lots of players have highlight films. Like I get all that. I didn't just watch it and be like, gosh, this is the greatest wide receiver recruit of all time. He, he must be secured by the Buckeyes. Brian Hartline has to have him. But I know why a lot of people really wanted him. Just after watching a couple practices and seeing him operate in the scrimmage, he didn't he didn't make like 50 catches. He didn't have the most breakout scrimmage of all time for a true freshman, but he he looks the part. He made a couple key plays. He got his black stripe off and sometimes that just sticks in your in your mind like there's got to be a reason for that. He's he's an early enrollee and he got it off after his fifth practice. Like that doesn't happen very often. I think some of the black stripe importance has faded over time. Uh, they don't treat it quite as seriously as they used to. So I'm not saying that's the be all end all of my decision here. But when you're when you're wading through those six, seven, eight guys at the you know outside of the top half of the rotation, and who's going to step up and who's going to do it, I I think that there's a good chance that Carnell Tate ha- can be much more important than I thought he would be. I agree with that. Do you think because uh, Brian Hartline on Tuesday was he he sort of volunteered the fact that he felt like the top six or seven are better now than they were last year, especially the the back end of that six or seven. But then he wouldn't say who they were. So if we're to assume that the four are Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, Julian Fleming, and Xavier Johnson, who do you think the next two are? Would you put Carnell in that conversation? I don't want to do it right now. I, I think it's too early. Uh, that I can see it happening. I, I think that he's got enough ability to play multiple spots. Uh, like, you know, it's hard to say. Like, I know that people want that group to get back to six and seven, and I think maybe even Brian Hartline would include himself in that. But it's still going to be really hard for Ohio State to take Marvin Harrison, Emeka Buki, and Julian yeah. Fleming off the field. And and I don't like. It's fun to talk about in spring. Like, would he be in the top six? I, I think there's a decent chance that he could leap ahead of that class ahead of uh, you know, last year's class and those four. Like, and Caleb Brown's doing some really good things. I I thought about maybe including him uh, as one of the guys to watch with the stock, but especially just because in my mind, 
he Carnell, maybe many other people are saying, well, you're, you're an idiot, Austin. Like Carnell Tate was always going to be this good. We always thought that. And that's fine. But for me, he's surpassed what I thought he could do. Does that mean top six? Maybe, maybe not. And I don't even know that it's going to get to that. That's my, I think once the season starts, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to come off the field. And Emeka Buka probably shouldn't either. And then you start shrinking down the opportunities beyond that. So I guess that's my cop-out way of saying, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I guess you could like rightly assume that one of them is Jaden Ballard, but then there's still there's still like another guy or two that was in Brian Hartline's mind when he was saying that, and the options are fairly limited. Um, it certainly could be anybody from that sophomore class. Um, I'm I'm a little more inclined to believe that it that it is the freshman that he has in mind. Um, but I, I, like you, I don't I I don't want to say that definitively just yet because we'd just be trying to read Brian Hartline's mind. Um, but the the one the one thing that I will say is like. Last year, this time last year, like throughout the summer, I think we talked about that receiver group and like the the fresh freshman at the time, like who among them might emerge. Not not to say that they would be as good as Chris Olave, but like on a similar path. Like by the end of the year, this guy just like is forcing Brian Hartline's hand to put him on the field. Obviously, that never happened. Uh, I feel pretty good about this group's ability to do that. I, I don't I don't want to say who it'll be, um, other than to say that it'll probably. It's among either Carnell Tate, uh, Noah Rogers, or Brandon Innes when he gets here. But I think at least one of those guys um, will be forcing the hand of the receivers coach to get some kind of playing time by the end of the year that was much more significant than anything the group got last year. I don't know if if people are wondering why when we talk about this class of the incoming class, the early enrollees for Ohio State, why we never, you know, mentioned the last one and like. It's it's not a knock on the ability for Bryson Rogers, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just a pure physical development situation. That guy, yeah, he looks needs, like he weighs 150 pounds. <laughs> yeah, he's got it's. So we're not. It's not intended as a slight to his skills or his future or any projection for him. I, I've thought about that when we've had this conversation before. Like I wonder, if people think that there's something wrong there, and there's not. It's just he is he's gonna need time to fill out before he could play for Ohio State period. I, I mm-hmm. saw him out there on day one and I was like, that's a little, that's not what I expected. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with that either. Like if you get one full year in a strength program at Ohio state, you're going to fill out pretty quickly. So that's just not, I don't think it's going to be in the cards for him to help Ohio state this year. And the reason for that is that he has to develop some strength uh, to be able to stand up over the course of a year and play it. Whether that's you have to be able to block or just get through a Big Ten season or a combination of both, probably both, uh, that's what's going to be the mission for him. Yeah, and I think um, he he when Brian Hartline talks about like the group as a whole and like their mental approach to things and their maturity, I think he's definitely including Bryson Rogers in that. But there's a physical component of it too, to your point. And I don't, I just don't know. Um, I, I mean, who knows? It could be there by August, but it doesn't yeah. appear to be there. It, it doesn't appear to be there right now. And also. Brian Hartline said that he's working mostly in the slot. So it's like if Emeka Buka is going to get a lot of work there and Xavier Johnson is going to get a lot of work there, then like what are the realistic prospects of somebody else working there getting a lot of opportunity? It's, yeah. it's probably maybe maybe a little easier in that kind of second outside spot opposite Marvin to get to get your chances. Right. Um, let's see. Who else am I buying stock in? I don't, I don't just want to make this like a list of good freshmen. So I'm, trying, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of, of a non-freshman. Uh, to discuss um hmm that hasn't started yet how about um uh 
Any start. If it's a if a guy has started one time, he doesn't count. I'll let you. I'll let you slide with one start. Okay. If it if it was an accident. Okay. Um. <laughs> I I'm gonna I am gonna crush Burns dreams here. I guess with this pick, I'm gonna pick his guy Cameron Martinez, and I think he has a start under his belt. I believe he started against uh, someone last year, Toledo maybe. I think he started against Toledo last year. Uh, one of the games Tanner McAllister didn't play because of his of his hamstring deal. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't. I I get the sense that there is a not insignificant portion of the fan base who just doesn't see it with with Cam Martinez, and and a lot of that is you know the, the struggles he had against Michigan. And like I, I get that he was put into a big spot and and he didn't come up with with the big play there. So that that's that's fair. That's like life as an Ohio State defensive back. Um, but I also put a little bit of stock in the way that like coaches talk about people, especially a guy like Jim Knowles, who I, if, if a guy has work to do, I think he, he's perfectly comfortable telling you that. And when he was talking about Cam Martinez earlier this week, um, he was like gushing about Cam's footwork. And if we're in a world now where Ohio State is interested in playing more cornerback types at the nickel position than they are safety types at that position, I think Cam Martinez might strike a really good balance between the two there. So I, I don't know. I think it's much, much too early to say that he's going to lock down that starting job. I like they brought in Jahad Carter for a reason, and I expect that to be a competition up until the Indiana game and, and probably even beyond that. Um, but I think Cam has an opportunity to be a much bigger part of the defense than he was last year if his coverage ability has taken the steps that that Jim Knowles sort of made it seem like it has. And he talked a lot about confidence with Cam too. And I know Burn mentioned that when we talked about it on the on the daily on uh Wednesday morning. Um that that needs to be present uh, at, at all times for Cam, um, for him to be an effective player. And if it is, I don't know, I think he can be a pretty solid cover guy for them. He's still not going back to catch any punts during practice. Yeah, that needs to happen. <laughs> I don't know what's uh, that's actually a excellent, excellent observation. It's all been guys wearing red jerseys. I don't. It has. I can't. I can't figure it out. Like, if you put again, like I just said that the highlight reels can can lie. I don't think that Cam Martinez does. If you're just looking for somebody who to to go be an electric punt returner, I think there's a lot of evidence that he could do that pretty well. Now, in a game at Ohio State, that first sort of opportunity didn't work out, and it was a weird one and a wonky one. But again, I, I feel like sometimes Cam Martinez is being judged by like two snaps and he never gets any chance to fix it or change people's mind. Yeah, that does. That is true. And like he didn't he have an inter- interception return for a touchdown two years yeah. ago. Like that was a pretty electric play. People just like don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. Yeah. One. And I get like that was uh, that was against like Akron, I think, or Tulsa. So it wasn't in, it wasn't in the biggest game of the year. Um, but he's got legitimate ball skills for sure. And I, yeah, I don't know. The idea that he's not even back there practicing is is actually now that I think about it a little odd, especially like Marvin Harrison Jr.'s back there. Like, I, why? Why is he back there? He doesn't need to be back there. Um, I don't know. I, Mar- I'm excited. Yeah. I'm similarly excited about Caleb Brown to, to be that guy too. But I think that the the only two guys back there should be Caleb Brown and Cam Martinez. If Marvin can do it, that means that you just get to volunteer. Like go like Cam Martinez yeah, right. should leave whatever else he's doing at that time. Be like, no, no, I'm gonna go field these punts and then watch what happens afterwards. Like <laughs> he's just gotta take it into his own hands. I'm yeah. I'm advocating for uh, you know, sabotage or subterfuge or whatever. Like just go I, go do it. 
I like that idea. So I am going to lobby for Donovan Jackson to go back there and catch punts as well. <laughs> Cause I want to see what that guy athlete looks like yeah. with a ball. Pure athlete. Yeah. We, we mentioned and you wrote about uh, in your defensive observations from the scrimmage on Saturday, like the three pass breakups that Gabe powers had. And I, I'd put him in another category where he's not a player going into spring that I thought a lot about in terms like, and that's primarily because I don't think he's going to have an opportunity to play a lot this season. And th- that's still the case. Once Tommy Eichenberg is back uh, working with Steel Chambers and then you have Cody Simon as that third man in and finding some way for C.J. Hicks to help, like for a team that's going to play two linebackers the vast majority of the time, you're not going to dip down to the fifth or sixth spot. But in terms of future prospecting, you know, both of those starters are going to be gone, you know, if if something crazy happens, like Cody Simon gets to chip away and play a lot more reps, like he could theoretically leave without ever being uh, getting a chance to be a full time starter again because he's played a lot of football at Ohio State. I think there's a world mm-hmm. where, you know, he doesn't have to go set the world on fire and make eighty tackles to to jump to the next level. Like some guys are just like he's built. I don't mean to go down this tangent, but like th- I think that's worth keeping in the back of your mind that they don't Ohio State could lose guys like Cody Simon with you know, to the NFL without them being a full-time starter. He's dealt with injuries and he's been a starter in the past. And anyway, he doesn't have to use every single year of COVID eligibility and everything else available to him. And in that world, then you're talking about a pretty significant overhaul next year for Ohio State at linebacker, in which case Gabe Powers becomes a lot more important. So again, I didn't think about that coming into spring, monitoring him or Reed Carrico. Certainly we talked a lot about CJ Hicks, but you know, CJ Hicks can't go out there and be a one-man linebacking crew. Somebody else is going to have to be out there on the field. And looks like Gabe Powers is coming along nicely. He's going to have to be patient. I don't, I don't know how much of that was in his in his mind uh, when he was recruited and when he signed. Like it, it may take two plus years to find a chance to help Ohio State, but it it looks like he's putting in that work to be ready when that time comes. And like, there's a lot of key evaluation moments and, and mile markers for him this spring because of Ohio State, you know, working to protect Steele and with Tommy on the sideline. And I think that Gabe is, is meeting that challenge at this point, which is significant for 2024, if not just extra depth for 2023. Yeah, I think I think if you think ahead to the 2024 linebacker depth chart, it does it is an interesting conversation. We don't have to have that now, but I think that. Gabe will be a very important special teams player, like at at the very least this year. Because even like CJ Hicks played just about every game on special teams and played a lot of special team snaps. Gabe Powers didn't even do all that. Like he he didn't like CJ. He didn't play a linebacker. Then his his work was pretty few and far between. Um, I can envision him being a guy who you see on the field a lot, like a ton on special teams. Um, and CJ would probably be the same, but. That's probably step one for Gabe to, to become a guy that the coaches trust to, to put out there on the field on defense. But I I mean, I was really kind of taken aback by just sort of his length at that position. He does have a bit of a different build for a linebacker, which is, I think, part of the reason why myself and a lot of other people posited at least that perhaps he could move to defensive end at some point. Mm-hmm. Like as, on a, as a tangent, that makes me think like maybe you look at him down the road as a guy who could play that hybrid position for Jim Knowles if, if, if he wants to look at that, if he's going to look at like a guy like Mitchell Melton, then I don't know that Gabe Powers' skill set is all that dissimilar from Mitchell Melton's. Um, nor, mm-hmm. nor do I think his career trajectory. You know, I think they could be fairly similar. So um, he's an interesting guy for sure. I, I don't know. I, I'm so curious to see how 
the rotation at linebacker goes this year, or, or even if we can call it a rotation, or if it's just going to be those guys playing like the garbage time snaps, which would still be more than they did last year. Um, but I, yeah, I agree with you. Like he was not a guy I had in mind coming into the spring just because of the way the depth chart is. But then on Saturday, I was like, Whoa, okay. There's a little, there's a little something to this guy. So that's right. a good pick. Um, let's see. I think, let me throw one other Go ahead. thing on top of that. Stock up to Ryan day and Jerry Emig and everybody else for opening up those scrimmages, because these are the kind of players that we would not have been able to talk about. They would not have been front of mind if you don't get to see some of this stuff in spring. And, I know that nobody likes it when we talk about the way we do our job or what we have to do to do it the way that we want to. It's not meant as a complaint, but when they're doing like, this is the benefit for you out there, America, listening to the podcast daily or reading at ohiostate.rivals.com is monitoring the growth of this next wave. Like, otherwise you're just going through a list. Like if, if Jim Knowles comes out and we say, well, you know, Hey, what's going on with Gabe Powers? And like, well, he's working really hard and you know, he's trying to like you don't learn anything by that. Like this is we want to be able to tell you like Gabe Powers had a really good scrimmage. Like that's important for the future. He seems happy with that role and his development. Like that stuff is important and I think that uh it's great that Ohio State is doing that and recognizing that this spring because what happens when we get in there is that you get a, a lot of overwhelmingly positive coverage for your program, like <laughs> about the future people. Like it's a pretty novel concept. We're not in there to be spies for, you know, the rivalry and hand all the information. Like you could have given me the playbook. I still wouldn't have known what the hell they were doing. <laughs> like anyway. Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, all right. I'll, I'll, so I'll pick one more guy. Um, and this is a guy that you uh, wrote about on Wednesday at OhioStateRivals.com and your takeaways for Brian Hartline. And I thought Brian Hartline's answer to your question about this guy was interesting. G. Scott Jr., um, who I think fits the fits the mold because I don't believe he started. He has played, but I don't think he started a game. No, I don't think so. Um, and I, coming into the spring, I was just like, it's going to be Joe Royer's tight end too. It's Joe Royer. Um, and if I had to pick right now, I, th- I would probably sit, I would probably predict that Joe Royer ends up playing more snaps than G Scott. But uh, I am hesitant now, more hesitant now to say that based off the, the way that Brian Hartline kind of gushed, uh, gushed is too strong of a word, but he had, he had some favorable reviews for, for G Scott when you asked him about him. And the first thing he talked about was his blocking ability and his, mm-hmm. and his more consistent or his consistency, I guess I should say with blocking guys at the defensive end position who were just much bigger than he is. And that was always my question with G. I'm sure it was a question with a lot of people. Like, can you ever, become enough of a competent blocker that they can put you out there as the second tight end and not have to worry about it. I don't question the receiver skills. I know he has them. And as I've said before, I love to see them use them, even if they don't think he can block. But if he's taking himself forward as a blocker too, um, I am intrigued. So um, I think that that second tight end spot probably is much, is much more of a competition than I gave it credit for coming into the spring. And now G Scott is a guy that when we get in there again on Saturday for student appreciation day, he's a guy that I now want to watch a little bit closer because Brian Hartline piqued my interest a little bit with his answer to your question. Yeah. And I think if they, if they want to play 12, as much as Ryan day has wanted to in the past, like that's another spot where you, you don't really want it to just be those two tight, the top two tight ends being your 12 personnel all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple reasons for that. The volume of snaps that the, that Ohio State's going to play on offense is one. The second is part like they they have different responsibilities. You've seen them 
shift guys into the backfield and become a, a fullback, which, you know, I don't know what ideas about uh, ideas they have for that spot right now. <laughs> we don't have a better feel for that. But like, you know, if you're if you're talking, we Jeremy Ruckert did some of that. And that's obviously very different than the way that Mitch Rossi did it. I think that G Scott is probably more similar to Jeremy Ruckert or, or much more similar. In fact, so like there's a, there's a spot for that. There's a role that he can carve out on this team. Like we know that his greatest value is going to come as a passing threat, uh, a receiving threat for the passing game. Like it's, he's not ever going to be an elite all world blocker. He wants to be, but I don't think that his, his physical, you know, his frame is ever going to really allow him to do that. He's trying really hard, and he he could become more than serviceable at it, which is all that he, I think he really needs to do. Because as you said the other day when you were talking about Jelani Thurman, like if a guy can just do this, maybe you should let him, even if not everything about it fits exactly what you want, or that he's ready to play in the NFL next weekend. Like <laughs> sometimes you just have to suit that to the skill strengths, and I think that I think that's maybe a conversation that Ohio State, at least publicly, seems to be more engaged in whether that was cj hicks at jack or you know Jaden boward like okay you're a really good deep threat that can get you on the field at ohio state but is that nfl like there's a whole bunch of different guys like let's find something that they do really well and let them do that and that's not always been the way ohio state has talked no and but and, and i think like more and more you just like when, when you have guys especially the kind of guys we're talking about this that are just so versatile i just think you need to embrace it and and you can develop along the way, right? It's not. I don't. I don't think it's a hindrance to your overall development to to play when you're like quote unquote not ready or or not all the way ready. So um, I hope they do do that. It's not like G Scott doesn't need to have fifty targets next year, but um, he's a, <laughs> he he's won't a, he won't. He I, won't. I promise yeah, you, he won't. But like think about think about that body type like down down near the red zone. Like obviously we have Marvin down there and he's he's tremendous in that in that area, but. How about another guy who's big and can box guys out and you can use him that way? I just I just think there are ways that there are player ways players can help this team that hasn't that haven't been fully embraced just yet. Um and and G is probably one of those guys. Now now I will say too, like G like G had that headbutt incident against Michigan. So like you can't do stuff like that. Like there's there's it's yeah. a two way street. You gotta you gotta hold up your end of the bargain too. But the fact that he did do that, and no one seemed particularly happy about it at the time, um, <laughs> and he's he's still uh, very much here and very much front of mind. I think for the coaching staff, um, I think says something about the way they they think of his uh, long term prospects. Still, yeah, he's been at the front of the stretching line um, for I believe every practice that we've been in there for. Not he and Kate are not in the same vertical line, so they can both be out right. there. But he he's been in this program for a long time, and he has put in a lot of hard work. So it's not like they've shuffled him off like. You you cost us uh, some field position and a bad penalty. We're done here. That's definitely not what's happening for G. Scott Jr. Uh, and there, you, you can still see there's an opportunity for him to help Ohio State, as there are a lot of guys. We're going to talk to some of those corners and safeties after practice later on today on Thursday. And uh, I think Bill and I are going to try and do snap judgments live. <laughs> we'll try. <We're, laughs> no promises. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Bill uh, – Bill and I are working without our our third wheel and the guy who does all the AV stuff for us. Berm uh, is on a, a well-earned spring break vacation. Uh, I think he was hitting some of the, you know, beach beverages early on Wednesday, which is good <laughs> for him. He's earned that opportunity. And uh, Bill and I are going to do the best we can without him. Um, that's all I can promise is that we'll try. <laughs> 
We will try. Yeah, and if they're if they're not up uh, due to my incompetency uh, on Thursday afternoon, we will still have a daily for you on Friday morning. <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah, there's going to be coverage. I promise that. Like lots of promises that I can make and that we can deliver on. How it all looks, we'll see. But we're we intend to have a live version of Snap Snappy Jays. Uh, we'll definitely have some takeaways from Tim Walton, Perry Eliano, the corners and the safeties. Uh, and then we'll be getting ready again uh, for scrimmage number two as part of Student Appreciation Day for Ohio State on Saturday. So stay tuned for all that. And if you want to join us at OhioState.Rivals as well, get a free month on us. Use the code DTE30. Uh, we'll see you there. He's Bill. I'm Austin. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later.